airplane passengers watched nervously as two men wearing pilot uniforms and dark glasses used canes to feel their way up to the cockpit. Minutes later, that plane starts barreling down the runway and obviously passengers get scared as the end of the runway fast approaches. Within yards of the end, everyone screams. But just then, the plane takes off. The passengers, of course, think it's all a big joke and just laugh in relief. You know, one pilot says to the other, one of these days, they're not going to scream on time and we're all going to die. I believe you're all smiling under those masks. I also believe that George Chan will crack a better joke later today and make everyone laugh a lot more. We walk by faith and not by sight after all. But is faith really blind? What does faith look like? To answer that question, today we will look at the life of the man of faith, Abraham. And while we do that, we will also consider another crucial thread that runs through all of scripture, the idea of God's covenants. What is a covenant? In a simple sense, a covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties okay, make binding promises to one another. Okay? We just need to understand the idea of relationship and the idea of promises. So what are these covenants with Yahweh? What are the covenants that God made with mankind? This would be the most common list. The covenant with Adam, the covenant with Noah, the covenant that God made with Abraham that we look at today, the covenant with Moses and the nation of Israel, the covenant with David, and finally the one that we all know, the new covenant mediated through Jesus. If I were to kind of dig into each of these a little more, just to kind of give us an overview, starting with the covenant with Adam, while, while the idea, why the term covenant is not used in Genesis, uh, it is used in the book of Hosea connected with Adam. And a few weeks ago, we saw both Charles and Jobin cover most of it, right? And if you remember, humanity was created to rule as the image of God. Humanity was created to fill the earth with the glory of God. And then we saw how miserably humanity failed was in place until this idea of the promised seed came. Then God makes a promise and a covenant with David. God promises David and his descendants kingship over Israel and David too will have an anointed seed through which all humanity is blessed. And finally, in a few months we look at the new covenant. This 
is the ultimate fulfillment of all the covenants. Jesus, the anointed one, the image of God, rules with his people to fill the earth with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea and as they live in his presence forever. Let me just show this again since it was missing for a while. That's the set of covenants that we are looking at. The covenant with Adam, the covenant with Noah, God's covenant with Abraham, God's covenant with Moses and the nation of Israel, God's covenant with David, and finally, the new covenant, right? In all of this, what we are seeing is the backbone of God's mighty plan. Every single kid's Bible will have these three, these six stories in that order. But here's the thing. Why should we bother about the covenants of the Bible? We see, first and foremost, that if the covenants are talking about relationships and promises, we understand that the God of these covenants is a God of relationships. He's deeply personal. Covenants also show that man has responsibility. Man is not just some robot that does whatever the will of God is, like some puppet. Man has responsibility. But we also see that even though man is given responsibility, man fails utterly at what he is given. And yet, by sheer grace, God shows favor and God works for man. The end of it all is that God is seen to be most glorious. But why do we have to study the covenants? Isn't that just some theological mumbo-jumbo for the great theologians and you know, not for us common people? Like I said, the covenants were in chronological order. Every baby Bible has them. And so, when we see the covenants, we understand, number one, how to read the Bible. As we read the Bible, we understand God's plan. While we do that, we understand the heart of God, and we love Him more deeply. We see our hope. Our lives, therefore, are radically transformed. And so, we offer better worship. The end result, we glorify God. Is that not the purpose for which we were made? That's why we study the covenants. But before we dive into the covenant that God makes with Abraham, let's just take a look at where humanity is at. Okay? God made mankind to fill the earth and glorify God as mankind ruled the earth and reflected, if you remember what Jobin said, reflected who God was. Mankind failed miserably. Instead of filling the earth with his glory, they fill it with only evil everywhere. God though, in tremendous mercy, instead of wiping out all of humanity, deserves to preserve, sorry, decides to preserve one sinner. 
His name was Noah. He preserves Noah and his family and calls them to do exactly what he told Adam and Eve to do. Fill the earth with the glory of God. Mankind has a second chance. But what does Moses record? First, Moses records drunk, naked Noah lying asleep in his tent. Then, Moses records the flippant heart of Noah's son. And then, Moses records the incident at the Tower of Babel. And so, we'll start from there. If you, if, if you could turn with me to Genesis 11, 1 onward, I'll read it and make a few points of note. The, the passages will also be on the PPT, so you don't have to spend too much time turning in your Bibles. Genesis 11.1 Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, what did God tell Noah and his descendants to do? Fill the earth. What does humanity do? Let's build a city, build a tower, so that we are not filling the earth, lest we be dispersed across the earth. Secondly, God promised Noah and humanity that he would never destroy the earth with a flood. It baffles me that these guys would build a tower made of brick and bitumen. Waterproof tower that is taller than anything else that was made. God makes a promise and we humans just cannot take his word. Thirdly, they are trying to make a name for themselves. We'll come back to that idea later. And God, after hearing about this huge tower with its top in the heavens, decides to come down. He's pretty disappointed. He scatters humanity across the face of the earth after confusing their languages. Summary, humanity has not changed. We are still rebellious. We don't trust God's promises. And it is in contrast to all of this that Moses records the life of Abraham and God's promise to Abraham. And if you didn't know, Abraham was called Abram up till Genesis 17. Okay, But just to avoid confusion, I will keep calling him Abraham from before that also. Okay, uh, Jovi, can I ask you to read Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 and 3. 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Thank you. Immediately, we see that while God could have made a fresh start all over again, another flood, destroy everybody all over again, forget that. He could have just wiped humanity out. He doesn't do that. Instead, he chooses this man, Abraham. Remember, 
they were making a name for themselves what does god do here i will make a name for you and it is god who makes the promises it's all god it's all grace but here's the thing if you keep reading you will notice that abraham is is not the greatest guy for example when god says leave everyone behind as he saw you know what abraham does takes lot that's a nice babysitter i don't know and it is through lot that a bunch of enemies of abraham's descendants show up a chapter later we see abraham so faithful to his wife that he encounters pharaoh and dumps his wife so that he can be saved one wonders is this the man of faith god however continues to promise tremendous things to abraham soon after abraham separates from lot if you take a look at genesis 13 i'll just summarize this we see god promising the following god promises that abraham will own all the land that he sees he promises abraham innumerable descendants like the sand on the seashore he promises that this land will belong to abraham and his descendants abraham and his seed forever so while abraham keeps stumbling god expands his promises what do we call this grace after this there's a big battle among the ro- local rulers and then we see abraham meeting another local ruler who's also a priest his name is melchizedek and then we come to genesis 15 in genesis 15 abraham is wondering after all these years god has promised descendants land all of that why hasn't anything happened oh god my servant eliezer is going to be my heir but god says no it won't be eliezer your servant who will be your heir your own son will be your heir and ultimately abraham's seed will be as uncountable as the stars in the sky and it is at this point we have this beautiful response recorded abraham believed god and god counted it to him as righteousness in other words abraham was in paul's words justified by faith yet abraham asked god later on in chapter 15 how will i know that i will possess this land that you have promised god this time responds with action he tells abraham to kill and cut various animals and then place them side by side so there's kind of like a pathway in between right jobi can i ask you to read genesis 15 and verses 17 to 21 why does abraham do this take a look. sorry why does god tell abraham to do this take a look when the sun had gone down and it was dark behold a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces on that day the lord made a covenant with abraham saying to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates the land of the Kenites the Kenizzites the Kadmonites the Hittites the Perizzites the Rephaim the Amorites the Canaanites the Girgashites and the Jebusites 
to the Israelites who heard this story, when they heard the idea of a smoking pot and a flaming torch, they would have thought of only one thing, a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. This was God. God was signing a covenant with Abraham. And normally, if you notice, when we make agreements, there are two, usually two people that do the signing. There's only God here. God takes full responsibility of the covenant. And as he passed through these slaughtered animals, this is what he was saying. May what was done to those animals be done to me if I break my word. God was putting his own infinite life on the line if he didn't keep his promise. You know what that is called? Grace. So now we are already beginning to see what God has promised to Abraham. A very specific piece of land. A seed and blessing. Blessing to him, his seed and to all nations. And you would think that after such a marvelous sign, after hearing all of this from God, after all of this assurance, Abraham believed God and was justified, everything would go so great. Oh, the Christian life he can, you know, be like, there to be a Daniel and all of that. But in the very next chapter, instead of trusting and waiting on the magnificent promises of God, Abraham and Sarah tried to be God themselves. They tried to do things their way. They do it by abusing Sarah's servant, Hagar. The result? More sin. More pain. And when Abraham is 86 years old, Ishmael is born through Hagar, and with him, another bunch of enemies of the nation of Israel. Is this the man of faith? You would think that things are back to square one, right? Same old humanity, no change. Abraham, just like Adam, utter failure. Just like us, God should start afresh. But that is not the way God works. If you take a look at Genesis 17, again, it's a big passage. I'm just going to summarize them for you. Okay? God expands on his covenant with Abraham this guy who really struggles to trust God, God expands still more and repeats and builds on whatever he promised earlier. Abraham will be a father of many nations and that's why he's called Abraham now, by the way. Abraham will be fruitful and multiply. Kings will come from Abraham who will rule. This covenant will last forever between Abraham's descendants and God. Yahweh will be God to Abraham and his descendants. They will be his people. God will give Abraham and his descendants the promised land forever. And then God ordains a sign for Abraham to remember all of this. Circumcision. Even though Abraham messed up, God is still at it. And clearly this covenant with Abraham is huge. It's not only about Abraham. It's not only about his physical descendants. All nations are involved. And earlier, the command to be fruitful and multiply is now a promise. The command to rule is a promise. 
and there's more. Sarah will be blessed and will bear a son for Abraham. This son, his name will be Isaac. This covenant will continue with Abraham's seed Isaac and his descendants. Sarah will give birth to Isaac one year from now. Look at how specific God is. Sarah, Isaac, one year from now. But if you think that Abraham would have learned his lesson by now, you'll be disappointed. Soon after the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham dumps Sarah again. This is the same Sarah to whom God promised she will have a son the next year. Abraham just dumps her for to prevent Abimelech from killing him. Now for sure God would need to find someone else to make a covenant. But does he? Genesis 21 verses 1 to 3. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, Isaac, whom Sarah bore him. No matter what Abraham does, no matter how miserably he fails, God is going to keep his promise. What do we call this? Grace. So what are these promises in God's covenant with Abraham. Now, we saw all the passages. Let's just summarize them. God will bless Abraham. Abraham's name will be great. Abraham will become a great nation via his descendants. God will give to him and his descendants the land of Canaan forever. Abraham will have innumerable descendants. This covenant with God will be established with Abraham's descendants. Yahweh will be the God of Abraham and his descendants and they will be his people. And Abraham and his descendants will mediate God's blessing to all nations. If I were to summarize it further, to make it easy for everyone to remember, God promises land. The very specific promise of land that we read and these, this land was the land that the nation of Israel was going to, the promised land. Land, seed, first seen in Isaac, blessing, not just to Abraham, but to all nations. Land, seed, and blessing. Remember this. This is the summary of God's promise to Abraham. But, okay, God made all of these promises. But why? What was God's purpose in, in, in all of this? Why did God make this promise of land, seed, and blessing? To understand the purposes of God, let me ask us this. What is the opposite of blessing? Cursing. And that should sound familiar. The serpent is cursed. The ground is cursed, Cain is cursed, Lamech does a lot of cursing, Canaan is cursed, and the narrative until Abraham's life is stuffed with cursing. Now, it's blessing. 
God is not merely focusing on, on reversing curses. He's not moving from negative to zero. He is blessing. And clearly, it's not because of anything that Abraham did, because Abraham, just like you and I, was an utter failure. God is working to restore mankind and the earth from the consequences of mankind's sin. He is not only restoring, he is doing a lot more. This is about the redemption of all humanity. God's heart, God's desire, God's purpose as seen in his covenant with Abraham is singular. I want to bless humanity. You want to know the God of the Old Testament? Here he is. A God whose desire is to bless sinful me, sinful Abraham, sinful you. Blessing despite our wickedness. What do we call that? Grace. But how will he do this? How will he accomplish this great redemption? What does Abraham's promise have to do with it all? Remember the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent? That seed, if you noticed, is now going to come through Abraham. Abraham and his descendants, a line stuffed with sinners and wicked people. Like God promised, God will do it himself. God will be faithful no matter how wicked the seed of Abraham will be. God will be faithful no matter how wicked we will be. God will redeem the wicked fall of man to make it a mighty stepping stone of restoration. Despite Abraham's sinfulness, despite Isaac's sinfulness, despite Jacob's deceit, despite Judah and his adultery and lewdness, despite David and his murder and adultery, despite the nation of Israel and all of their constant mockery of God, God promised, God will do it. What do we call this? Grace. Perhaps it will help us to look far ahead into the New Testament to see how God does this. Turn with me and keep your bookmarks here in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verses 7 to 9. Know then, Galatians 3, Paul says, Know then. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to Gentile remember, reminder people. So that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. This Messiah, this Christ Jesus took care of the curses of the law. He bore the penalty instead of us. And this is not some random act. God has a purpose. See the little words so that don't ignore them. That's the purpose of God. So that in this Messiah Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. God's heart and desire is not just to bless the Jews, 
but all of mankind. And it doesn't stop there. There's a second so that. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. There's the blessing. We receive God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not an it. He is God. We receive God. Galatians chapter 3 verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say and to seeds, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Who is the ultimate seed of Abraham? Who brings the blessings of Abraham to all nations? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Let me make all of that a little simpler. I may be oversimplifying this, but I, I just hope that it will help us understand at least a little bit of what God is doing in all of this. Let's just assume that this hand is me. Okay? I'm a Gentile. I'm not a descendant of Abraham. So how do I get the blessings that were promised to Abraham? Now let's just say this glove is the Messiah. This glove is the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. He is a descendant of Abraham. He is Abraham's ultimate seed. He gets to enjoy the promises of the covenant. He gets to enjoy the blessings. What about now? If the glove is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the seed of Abraham, where am I? In Christ. I'm in the Messiah. So what does God see when he looks toward me? Jesus, the seed of Abraham. Who gets the blessing? Jesus. But I'm in Jesus. So whatever Jesus enjoys as the seed of Abraham, so do I. If Jesus gets the blessing, so do I. If Jesus is a king, so am I. If Jesus is a priest, so am I. If Jesus is indwelt by God the Holy Spirit, so am I. If Jesus is a royal son of God, so am I. If you think I'm making it up, take a look at verse 26. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If we are in Christ, we have put on Christ, and so has anyone who has faith, which means that this hand is not just me, but all of us who call ourselves Christians. We are all in Christ Jesus, and because he is the royal son of God, because we are in him, we are royal sons of God. Verse 29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed, as according to his promise. You are Abraham's seed in Christ. 
that should seal the deal. You and I, because we are in Christ, we are Abraham's descendants. And incredibly, we inherit the blessings promised to Abraham. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Remember that second so that earlier, the one that's highlighted? The blessing that was not clear in Genesis is very clear now. Abraham's ultimate seed and we have God, the Holy Spirit. We have God himself. What are God's purposes? God's purpose is to bless. God's purpose is to bless all nations. God's purpose is to bless all nations with himself. Here is a God whose desire, his desire for us wicked humans is blessing despite our rebellion. What do we call this? Jesus. Christ redeemed us by becoming a curse for us. Grace incarnate. It has always been about Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection. We cannot separate the cross from God's promise to Abraham. And it is through this promise to Abraham that God is working to redeem all of humanity and to fulfill his purpose of filling the earth with his glory. And you and I are part of this massive plan of God. How? In Christ Jesus. And the New Testament is full of this language. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. God's purpose is to bless all nations with himself through the seed of Abraham, ultimately Jesus Christ. And as more and more people of all nations, remember the Great Commission, as more and more people of all nations come to be in Christ, they are filled with God, the Holy Spirit, and thus the whole earth will be filled with people that are filled with God, people who can now reflect who God is. You see, we're not just going back to the garden. We're going towards something that surpasses the Garden of Eden. We're going toward what God has blessed us in through Christ. And unlike Adam and Eve who never fulfilled their calling, they never filled the earth with the glory of God. They never filled the earth as they ought to have. We are moving in that direction. Why? Because of God. Because of the ultimate seed of Abraham, Jesus. But here's the question. How do I get to be in Christ Jesus? 
Let me just take a look at the passage in Galatians again. Okay? How do I get to be in Christ Jesus? It's there in the passage in Galatians. Oops. Can someone spot it in Galatians? One word that repeats again and again and again. Faith. True faith. True faith. True faith. What does faith look like? Let's go back to Genesis where we left off. Abraham. Isaac is born, but Abraham? Once a famous uh, trumpeter named John was following Google Maps on his Samsung phone. And as usual, Google Maps led him astray and he fell off a cliff. He managed to grab hold of a branch as he fell and held on for dear life. He shouted, help, help, is anyone there? A voice came, I am here. Really, who are you? Where are you? I am God, I am everywhere. What, really? Will you help me? If you do, I'll do anything for you. I'll, I'll, I'll stop playing the trumpet, I'll stop making fun of people, I'll be a good boy the rest of my life. Slow down, old chap. Let's get you off the branch first, shall we, says God. I need you to do only one thing. Yes, yes, anything, I'll do anything. Let go of the branch. What? Let go of the branch. Long pause. John cries out, help, help, is anyone else there? It sounds like Abraham's story so far, doesn't it? How is Abraham the man of faith that Galatians keeps talking about? The last time we looked, God fulfilled his promise and Isaac is born. And at the end of the chapter, Genesis 21, verse 33, we see Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree after Isaac was born. Wow. Is Abraham for real? Haven't we had enough? Does Abraham really have faith in God? We all plant our own tamarisk trees, don't we? Trees that are outward shows of how important God is to us. Instagram stories with our quiet times. WhatsApp statuses with our, foot, with our passages in images. WWJDs when bands when I was a kid. And now my favorite, standing up in church. All that is good, but is it for real? Is it for real? Do we really have faith? That's where Genesis 22 comes in. Genesis 22, and if you read, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This Isaac that God is telling to kill was the same Isaac that God specifically promised that his descendants would come from. And now it appears that God was behaving just like all the neighborhood gods. Offer a child sacrifice to show your devotion 
to me. Abraham packs up, he's on his way. They reach the mountain, and now Abraham prepares Isaac for slaughter on the altar. Verse 10 of Genesis 22. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. God said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now I know that you truly have faith in me. How? If you notice, God repeats something in the passage at the beginning and he repeats it here. Did you notice it? At the beginning, God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now God says, you have not withheld your son, your only son. Who does Abraham love? Abraham loved God. Is that not the simplest way to explain what faith looks like? Even a two-year-old ch child can answer the question, who do you love the most? I tried. So let me ask each of us, whom do you love? For Abraham, there was no doubt. God. Abraham loved God. And so God says, now I know that you fear God. And the story continues. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and behold, Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, Yahweh will provide. As it is said today, on the mount of Yahweh it shall be provided. There's another lesson here, a lesson that Abraham already you see, in that culture, sacrificing children was noble. More like a, a god of, of the Canaanite religion would, was portrayed, you know, with a large furnace in front of him. And parents would throw their babies into the furnace as a mark of devotion. God is saying, I am not like Moloch. I am not like those pathetic gods. I don't need your son. I don't need your offerings. I don't need your penance. I don't need your ministry. And I don't need your service. You can't do anything to curry my favor. I am, God says, I am the one who provides, not you. God will provide. What do we call this? Grace. What did faith look like? Abraham loved God. And Abraham knew that it was only God who could and would provide. So is faith blind? 
How did Abraham know? What changed in the life of Abraham to having this incredible love for God like this? Chapter 21, Isaac was born. God had fulfilled the one thing that he was saying since chapter 12. God had proved himself to be faithful even though Abraham was not. What do we call this? Grace. And so is faith blind? Abraham had a phenomenal experience of God's great provision. That's why his faith wasn't blind. What about us? What tangible, real experience of God's provision will change our hearts to love God this way? But God proves his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have the ultimate proof of grace. God's grace incarnate, real, tangible and something that the whole world could see. We have the ultimate provision from God who provides. And he is not just some goat in a bush. He is Abraham's seed, grace incarnate, Jesus. Faith is not blind. Faith looks to Jesus. Faith loves Jesus. And now that God has proved and provided himself, can you and I look to Jesus and to God alone and love him alone? Or do we still love our jobs? Do we still love our increments, our comfort, and people's approval? If I want to enjoy the blessings of God in Christ, if I want to partake of the joy that God is offering through all of these magnificent prom <coughs> promises, I need to have faith. I need to look at cross where God provided and then I have to love God with everything that I've got. But do I? Is God my supreme love? Can I, can I encourage us to do something probably every day just to exercise our faith a little bit? As part of your morning devotions, uh, can I ask each of us to write down at least one thing that God has done for you the previous day. Write down one thing that you are thankful for. Because if he did not spare his own son, has he not graciously given us with him all things? Do you and I love God? Since we started with that things, let me end with something interesting. In, in aviation safety, engineers have graded the speed of aircraft in various situations. One critical grade of speed is called V1. It is the velocity above which takeoff cannot be stopped, even if the engine fails or if there's any other problem. V1 is the speed of no return. Where are we in our relationship with God? Have we reached V1? 
Have we crossed the point of no return, the point of complete surrender? God's promise to Abraham was land, seed, and blessing. God's purpose is to bless all nations with himself through the seed of Abraham, who is ultimately Jesus Christ. To reflect who God is across the whole earth. And if our posture is faith, we will have a supreme love for God in this Jesus Christ, knowing that it is only God who can provide. And through this Jesus, the seed of Abraham, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. So, do you love God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for what you have accomplished. A plan of redemption that we cannot fathom and even when we do, we are in awe of what you have accomplished. Grace. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only one from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. This man, seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that we would love him. Help us to be helpless in trust, knowing that only you can provide. Help us to look to Jesus every day. In the name of Christ Jesus, in whom we have every spiritual blessing, 